Have you ever wondered what it's like to experience one of the oldest rainforests as a blind person? Or how it feels to get around one of the seven wonders of the world with mobility issues? You're listening to Access That, a podcast that explores what it's really like to travel as a person with a disability, like me. I'm Carney Liddell. And I'm Oliver Hunter. Each episode, we send a travel lover on an adventure around Queensland, and then we get them in the studio to have a chat. We ask them what it's like for them to navigate the world, hearing the highs, the lows, and the lowdown from people who have been there, access that. This podcast is presented by Queensland. Before we get going, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and the country we love to travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I would especially like to pay my respects to the First Nations people living with a disability. Hello, Carney. We're back. G'day, mate. I've got to live up to this um, new title you give me as the most Australian person you've ever met. But you are going to come to Queensland, so you may meet more of us. <laughs> it's just people. They're doing their thing. We love it. Uh, 4X flows. But today we're back for another great app of Access That. Um, thanks for joining us. We've got another great guest, Emma Money. Uh, Emma was diagnosed at birth with cystic fibrosis, and she gives us great insight into her life living with that disease. And just how she travels with that, but also lives her life in general. Absolutely. And living with an invisible disability like cystic fibrosis, even though she doesn't love that word. And also she has this insight into what it's like to have a physical disability because she also was the daughter of a father with a physical disability who happened to be a Paralympian as well. And on top of all those wonderful things, she was also the 2020 Australian of the Year for South Australia, the South Australian local hero. And it was a great chat, so enjoy the chat with Emma. Well, welcome, Emma Money. I just want to say your last name because, I mean, what a brilliant last name. And thanks for joining us. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so I I guess the biggest thing is that I always start my intro with I have cystic fibrosis. So cystic fibrosis is a life-threatening lung disease. Times have changed a lot with CF, but I guess just to talk about myself, I guess to a little bit, it's always funny when you get asked to talk about yourself. I always think, (laughs) oh, it's like when someone says, what do you do? So yeah, so cystic fibrosis, um, I am a mum of three. I am an author. I wrote my first book um, when I was 16 because my life, in a nutshell, I've learned that We've got two ways about looking at our life and, you know, th- you can be dealt with things and you can, you know, choose to be negative about it and dwell on it or you can turn those negatives into a positive. So, you know, if you Googled cystic fibrosis, there was a, for a while there, a very long time up until recently, a life expectancy. Now, for me, my story is very unique. So I'll try and give it to you in two seconds, in two minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't have up, to. We've got, we've got plenty of time. Yeah. I'll tell you the, the overview and you can go and ask me anything, you know, if you like. So I was given up for adoption when I was only a couple of um, days old because my birth parents were told that I wouldn't live to see my childhood. Now, they were new to Australia from Greece and had no knowledge of CF. So they chose what was right for them and that was to give me up for adoption. Um, my mum and dad who adopted me not long after, um, I was only nearly, you know, a couple of months after I was born, um, I was then adopted by my mum and dad. And my dad is an incredible man. Unfortunately, we lost him um, over, over a year ago now. It's still very raw. Oh, sorry to hear that. But he was a paraplegic 
he was a dark skinned black coloured man. I'm I'm a always say I'm a bit of a Greek goddess coming from two Greek people. <laughs> and my dad was a black man with one leg, one hip, no kidneys, and had a very visible disability. And yeah, I man. Well, he ticked all the boxes, all the diversity boxes. He did. Good idea. Very diverse, but never let his disability define him. And when my mum and dad met, they adopted me knowing I had CF and they wanted a baby with a disability because they saw the way my dad lived and thought, you know, they could give another child with a disability a, a, a good life. And oh, I love they, them. Yeah, they came well. came across me. <laughs> so apparently there were about five families that wanted me. Um, but mum and dad, they, they got me. And my dad, I always say, missed my first birthday because he was competing in the Seoul Para Olympics as a powerlifter. No way. What's his name? Arnie Money. He always used to say no he was way. Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, dark cousin. <laughs> I know who your dad is. I'm, a, I'm an old oh, Paralympian. Yes, I'm an old Paralympian. I, I know you are, but really? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I don't know him, know him, unfortunately, but he's a legend. Of, he was a legend of our sport. He was. One he of the really, originals, the OG. Yeah, the OG. That's it. So that's my beautiful dad. What was his and sport? Sorry, Emma. I'm fangirling big time right now. <laughs> he would love that. He was powerlifting. Ah, so very lifting. cool. Very cool. So when I um, was 16, fast forward, you know, I spent a lot of time growing up in hospital um, yep. CF itself has given me a lot of, you know, a lot of different experiences, so to speak. Um, Lots of physio back in the day, I bet. Yeah, I still, well, not so much these days, but um, I try and look at normal things. When I say physio, I mean like manual whacking you on the chest, yep. getting the mucus up. But yeah, my best friend, yes. Kate's got CF, so I grew up watching her get whacked on the chest in the back yeah, for hours and hours a day. You get a beating. <laughs> you do get a beating, yep. But, you know, th- there's the daily treatment of cystic fibrosis, but then there's also, um, you know, for me as a six, seven-year-old, I lost um, the first person I knew with CF. She was 12. And unfortunately, death became quite a common thing for CF people in the CF world and there were many reasons Did you for know that. that you had a life expectancy? Were you aware of it? Yeah, I, I was and I think when I talk about my dad and his positivity, you know, I remember at a young age and people always ask you when you're a kid, who do you look up to? Who mm. do you want to be like? And I mm. never thought I never saw any other girl with cystic fibrosis that I could look up or Google and go, wow, she's mm-hmm. done this. And I had no one to aspire like that I could relate to. So That's I knew true. I had to change that. And I wanted to be a girl that younger CF girls could look up to because, again, look at my dad and I thought, God, he's defied the odds many times. And then I, I always thought, you know, having CF, I'm not a carton of milk. I don't have a use-by date. Why should I fall into that mindset that, I'm going to be gone before I'm, you know, before my childhood's over. Like it has sort of been, the path was sort of laid out for me. I was given up because they thought I wouldn't make it through childhood. I made it. So my journey with CF has definitely been a big part of, you know, what is, it's me every single day. But I'm one of many that has this illness that whilst we look healthy, we are honestly fighting a battlefield on the inside of our lungs and some and days, it's not just your lungs though, you've got pancreas, digestive issues yeah. as well. Yeah, so I used to take up to 60 pancreatic enzymes a day to help digest my food um, and that's decreased over time, now it's about 30 and that's just with the medical advancement with new treatment. And then treatment itself for me today, like I'm, I feel really lucky because up until a year ago I actually 
was probably nearly two years ago. When COVID first came out and all of that, the big hype and worry was around <gasps> CF and getting COVID. You know, we've got a life-threatening illness. You couldn't be more autoimmune compromised, could you really, than CF? Absolutely. Um, but admittingly, I was probably a bit of an air, airy fairy with it all mm. because all of a sudden the rest of the world had to learn what it was like to protect themselves from bacteria that seems to just go everywhere. From as simple as going to a supermarket, if you sneeze in your hands and put your hands on your trolley, the next person comes along, touches that trolley, wipes their face. That's how bugs transfer. And I remember thinking all these people are using, and you know, hand wipes, face masks, hand gel. That's part of my everyday practice that I've sort of been grown up to do. So I kind of probably I used to wear masks around Kate all the time. You have yeah. to because of the the cross inf- or infection. So mm. I think Mum and Dad never bubble wrapped me. So I do probably push the boundaries and probably scare people sometimes, and they think. Um, should you be doing that? And I yeah. I like to push the boundaries, you know. I think if someone tells me I can't do it, I think, well, why not? I'm going to tr- give it a crack, you know. Why wouldn't we? I was going to ask you, Emma, like CF, as you said, it's a very, like, inside, it's, there's a lot going on for you, your lungs and your or other organs. I'd say it's an invisible disability because if someone saw you out yeah. in public, they might go, oh, well, you look fit. You don't look sick. You don't look sick like you're out here and you said you already pushed the boundaries and you and you're doing all the things. So what's, is there times where you have to like, I don't know, it sounds a bit cringe, but convince people or how, how does that go for you? That invisible, this <laughs> like CP and wheelchairs, like Carney and I. Like, Ollie and I dream about being able to go anywhere invisible. Yeah. yeah. Like, we, we leave the house and people are like, what's happened to you? But like, yeah. It's like, people stare, yeah, don't they? Yeah. People talk and yeah. um, when you've got a wheelchair. Give you a high five. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost, and you almost want to smack them back, I think, because yeah. you think I'm not hard um by. Like it's that. Yeah. I guess I remember someone, oh, there's been many times over the years where I've had like a chronic coughing fit and, you know, I've turned around and someone's gone, don't cough on me. And I've said, don't worry, you won't catch it. And then they've looked at me and was like, okay, I said, I've got lung disease. Yeah, right. I've been getting looks lately because in my car, since um, we actually got back from our holiday, I've been a bit sick and I've been doing my nebulizers in the car. Now, if you see my nebulizer, if you go on my Instagram and have a look, I'm puffing what looks like a pipe with the with the medication coming out so but somebody think, will call child safety on you, you better be careful I know. <laughs> happy kids in the car <laughs> no it's it is hard but I, and you know sometimes I feel a bit like I have imposter syndrome but then I have to really sit back and go hold on Emma remember what my journey has been my entire life and I don't need to sort of um you know define that to anyone else I don't need anyone else to I don't need to prove that to anyone. But when I get sick, um, especially on CF Mummy, which is my Instagram, I started CF Mummy when I fell pregnant with Ava, my eldest, because I wanted to show other women that had CF that we can actually fall pregnant. It's the men that are infertile, not the oh. women. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. There yeah. you go. But women didn't – when I looked into it, my own experience was I didn't see many women that were living long enough to have babies and then after they would have a baby, if they were around enough to have a baby, um, you know, they would deteriorate very quickly. And Yeah, Kate I, I had do, hers at 27 weeks. Yeah, there you go, early. So um, – and even that, without the baby being early, but the mother, so as the CF woman having that baby – post babies mm. any mum out there can and 
can agree with me, it's after the baby arrives that life actually gets hard and, you know, you do miss a few meals and sleep and whatnot. So treatment gets put on the back burner and your lungs Mm. decline a lot. So I really appreciate the days that I am healthy and able to get a lot done because when I'm knocked for six, it it just completely knocks me off and I I just can't do anything. I almost feel lazy. Well, I do feel lazy because I'm bedridden. And I don't know how to stop. So it's very frustrating. Emma, back to the I've got to, I've got to find this out because yeah. growing up, I've got two friends. One was C I've got a lot of friends, but two friends. One was cystic fibrosis and another one was spinal muscular atrophy, who are both now taking drugs. But um they take the, they're both on drugs now that has stopped progression mm. of the disease. So cystic mm. fibrosis is a new, there is a new drug out there, which it feels like now Kate's going to outlive all of us. How is that psychologically? And how are, are you on the drugs and what's happening? Yeah, so we're very lucky uh, with medical treatment and advancement. So I'll backtrack even a few years ago. There was a drug that we um, fought for with the government called Orcambi. Now, Orcambi seemed to be this amazing life-changing drug for those people living with CF. Life-changing in a way that, you know, it would um, help you gain weight, make you stop coughing. There was a whole heap of things that Orcambi was meant to do. And after a lot of fighting, there was so many people in our CF community, Australia-wide, fighting the government, petitioning, writing to the health minister's we finally gained access. And just to put that into perspective, the drug itself was two tablets um, from memory, but it was $300,000 a year just for those drugs. and Where it would cost about a million dollars a year to put you in hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just, just quietly. I know. I'm like, yeah, well, exactly. Mm. So we finally got access. I got access to it and it did. It changed my life. It took a couple of months to, to settle in and people often say, how did all can be change you? And to make it um, an easy understanding is I could breathe. Now, (laughs) I often tell people. (laughs) That's that's important, I hear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So breathing, you need to breathe. But if anybody listening and doesn't have cystic fibrosis, which I'm hoping a lot of you don't, um, a simple test I always tell people to do is grab your two fingers, pinch them over your nose, and for 30 seconds, breathe in and out. Now, that's how I breathe every day. Imagine having a cold on, on top of that pinched nose breathing. It can be exhausting. Now, all can be took away that feeling. Mm. And then my body sort of got immune to it. And then I started getting infections again. Now, a CF infection, a simple cold turns into a chest infection. And that turns into a lung infection that then requires intravenous antibiotics. So getting sick is about a six-week process. Then yeah. We went through the horrible couple of years there with my dad deteriorating in his health, COVID. There was a lot of stress. I was ha- I was going through a lot in my own personal life with that as well happening. Um, I just didn't seem to get better anymore. And I sort of thought this is it. Um, and I remember getting the flu and I really thought I was a goner. I often would talk about in my talks, you know, if someone gets the flu with CF, that's usually a massive permanent dent on their lung capacity. And, yeah, and and it slowly would decline. So I I was very worried. Managed to just stay afloat. And then after um, we lost my dad, literally within a couple of weeks, I got COVID. And I was – I've never been so sick in my Mm. life. 
Um, and then it was almost like I'm a big believer that, you know, we've got our guardian angels above and it was almost like my dad had a higher power being in heaven. You know, it was only a couple of months after or ca- uh, Trakhafta, the latest and greatest drug. Now, Trakhafta, oh, my gosh, it makes me smile from ear to ear even talking about it because it. I thought all can be changed my life. Trakhafta, mm. within 24 hours, mm. I woke up. Well, first of all, I slept. So the chronic cough during the night that I've just known my entire life stopped completely. Um, So I was actually getting a full solid eight hours sleep. So I was rested, waking up with this energy where I could do so many things in that day that would take me two weeks to do. I had all this energy and I could be a mum that's active. I could go bike riding with the kids. I can walk with them and I started going to the gym it was absolutely incredible and it, <laughs> mentally it's, um, you know, I feel sad for my friends that are no longer here. Um, mm-hmm. I know so many that, you know, that didn't want to go um, and that it, CF took their life from them and it breaks my heart to think that there are so many that could have but I need to remember that I am a mum of three now and my third baby, Willow, <laughs> Willow Ray, is our little ray of sunshine. You know, mm-hmm. she was my mum. After I had, um, I started taking Trikafta, boom, fell pregnant. <laughs> so all three of my babies um, were natural. I know everyone always says was IVF and whatnot. Yeah. My son, I love how my, people ask people with disabilities that question, like, how'd you fall yeah. pregnant? I'm like, would you ask an A-bodied woman that? I dare you Well, to. that's it, same way you did. <laughs> Overall, the whole experience was honestly incredible. It was so family friendly. And I think as a parent watching the excitement in the children, that's that in itself is just something I think we remember forever. And we get so much joy out of watching our kids happy. So how does CF, I guess, generally uh, affect your travel? And what sort of preparation, I guess, do you do as well? So I guess compared when we're talking about you guys having your wheelchairs, um, I'd have to have a suitcase, like a little beauty case full of pills and and drugs, (laughs) Um, which (laughs) when you watch border security and things like that, as a young person, you're kind of worried that you've got to make sure you're doing all the right things. So firstly, for me, I think one of my first trips, I was always hesitant about any sort of travel, um, nervous about any bugs that I could catch, making sure I had the immunisations for the places that I would go to. Um, I was really lucky. Again, like I said before, I like to push the boundaries. So I sort of set a few places that I really wanted to go. Um, I did Europe when I was probably about 18, just after school. I finished high school. Um, And I was only there for a couple of weeks and sort of did a footstep in every place that I went to. But I remember my nebulizer. Now I have to take my nebulizer, my pancreas, um, and then a backup of two weeks worth of um, oral antibiotics, and then the vitamins. So I still kind of had to take almost a suitcase of everything. Are you a chemist with you? Yeah, I, I was. I was a chemist, literally. And the big thing on that, though, which you wouldn't think about, is making sure the equipment had the voltage that would fit yeah. where you were going. So. Um, you know, when I would get to a hotel, making sure my nebulizer had the right um, cord, like conversion, so that the PowerPoint would connect into the Aussie PowerPoint. Um, but then the voltage wasn't high enough. Um, so it meant that my nebulizer wouldn't work. That happened to me once when I was in America. So I did Europe. Europe was fun. 
but and, and I was safe, so to speak, but I had to take a letter from my doctor explaining what everything was. I needed to make sure my insurance was covered. I found on a personal note with my chest, I was a bit worried how I would go flying, but in the morning before we departed, I actually did some inhaled medication just to help loosen my airways up. I do get a little bit nervous flying and how the air when you're up so high can compress the lungs. That's how it feels anyway. So I just made sure I opened up my airways and I've done another nebulizer um, since we've arrived. But to be honest, as soon as we got off the plane and breathed in that humid Queensland air, my gosh, it's like a saviour in itself. So where did you go in Queensland? So we were really lucky and I was really nervous about the trip because we've got three kids, you know, a baby. How the heck do you pack and travel with three children? Um, CF versus three babies, that's hard. Three babies is harder. <laughs> um, you know, my husband has, we, he's a horse trainer, so we have, he's very busy with the business. So having the time off is, you just, I mean, horses still need to be fed and looked after every day. We've got good staff, thankfully, that allowed us to be able to do it. So there was a lot of nerves around it on so many levels, um, but the excitement to be able to go away as a family together, how are we going to do it? So I, being OCD, packed everyone's stuff, made sure I had little lists and tick boxes. We went to Magnetic Island <gasps> and holy moly, it was the most incredible experience. I can tell you the kids had never been up to the island um, up that far in Queensland. We've just done the typical Gold Coast theme park yeah. before. The staff on the plane to start with were amazing, just really helpful with the pram, things like that. Um, but, no, we went from Adelaide to Townsville and then we got a ferry over, which was really fun, so a bit of a novelty for the kiddies. We did quite a few cool experiences. Magnetic Island, if no one has ever been there before, it's really tiny in the way I think there's only about 2,500 people that live on the island. So it was so relaxing. We stayed at this amazing hotel, Peppers, the resort. It was literally the kids loved it. We got to our bedroom and it had a plunge pool in our room that overlooked the water and they were in and that was them done. The food was incredible. Um, I have to give a good shout out to Aquasine uh, on Magnetic Island. Now, we went out on this boat and I tell you what, I was so nervous taking the baby on a boat for five hours to the point my husband said, how about I just stay back with her if it mm. doesn't look good? Because it was a little bit choppy. Mm. And he says, I can stay back. And I'm thinking, no, we've come all this way. I want you out there. And then I thought, oh, my God, what if I regret this? <laughs> the guys were so great on the on the tour. They took my pram, put the pram on the boat and, you know, tied it up. So Australian. There was no qualm about it. Got on the boat and we spent probably five hours out. Now, one of the most incredible things I saw, and I've never seen it in my life, this one woman said to me, she's been up there 17 years, has never seen this, was we were out on the water and there was a humpback whale and it's baby calf, <gasps> like an arm's length away. Oh, wow. yeah. I actually put a video of it up on my Instagram because I'm like, you just don't see that. And it was mm -mm. incredible. Um, and then my son, Loki, was really lucky. He got to, he was, didn't really know what he was in for, but they got him a little a little fish and he held it out and he was helped or assisted, I should say. Um, and he had one of the birds of prey, an eagle, come and eat it out of his hand. Ah, oh, awesome. So wow. just stuff like that. You know, we are so lucky here and there are so many hidden gems like that that we just don't know about. And I feel really lucky that we got to do it. Um, and again, the air for me, 
from a CF perspective, you know, sitting out on the boat and I remember there was a couple of moments where I just closed my eyes and just took it in, breathing in that air because it was just so good for my lungs, the salty air, Mm -hmm. the warmth. And I thought, yeah, if if we could stand up there for a bit longer, it would have been amazing, you know, a good couple of weeks I'm talking. (laughs) But kids have school and life has to continue. Um, But, no, Magnetic Island was incredible. It was just very relaxing and accessible, you know, for somebody that would be in a wheelchair. I feel, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but having had my dad be in a wheelchair, I've grown up knowing what accessible and yeah. not accessible is. Yes. Like yeah. don't park in a disabled bay if you don't need it because they need to open the car door yeah. wide so that he could get his chair out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you learn the etiquette of what people yeah. in wheelchairs require. So the ferry was great, you know, drove on fine. The, the accommodation Again, it was very accessible for anybody that's visibly or invisibly disabled. And I think that's really important because a lot of us have fear around travel and the unknown and what does it look like and can I do it and will it work? Uh, I tell you right now, travelling the way we did with three kids, the journey home, if we could do that, you know, it's it's pretty possible. Um, We got the ferry back to Townsville. Then we flew from Townsville to Brisbane, then from Brisbane to Adelaide. So it was quite a journey, mm. but it was, it, yeah, it was definitely well worth it. Great opportunity for us then. I'll be happy to go up there and make sure it is accessible. I'll just put that on the record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sh- well, you absolutely yeah. should. Me, me too. Go to yeah. Peppers. Um, I'll do that for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you should go on the aqua scene because they, they were good fun. And, you know, I love it. We're so Australian. They were just some Aussie guys, you know, family-owned business, took us out and they put on a picnic for us on the – we pulled up to one of the um, little bays, part of the ocean, um, one of the parts on the reef there and they made me like a hot coffee and fruit platter and stuff and the kids were in the water paddle boarding and snorkeling that was the big thing on there can you snorkel holy moly i can't well i can no. snorkel yeah. but to be honest it's probably more the fear i jumped into that water and the size of those fish there was this one big one called rod the cod now rod the cod they know if you ever go on that tour you will see Rod the Cod, they knew where he was. Mm. He was massive and I was so grateful that they had a pontoon that they took out on the water. I could sit on the pontoon while the kids, you know, braved the ocean. But just incredible to see the reef like that. And I will point out actually because we're talking about the access, the guys were saying on Aquasine, um, you know, if, if for anybody that is in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. um, you could go and sit on a pontoon and go out snorkeling. So it means that you could actually go and do the snorkeling itself. And I just loved that. And, again, I think from growing up with my dad, I really loved to see the different sides of, um, you know, how's it going to work for everybody. We got to travel over to the Magnetic Island and it was incredible. The kids had not been on a ferry like that before. You know, we didn't have to leave Magnetic Island if we didn't need to because there was so much to do on the island itself, even just at the resort, to be honest, to get away from busy life and just be up on the island and and relax and in the warmth. It was beautiful. So really have enjoyed the time away with the family. Everyone had a ball. Emma, are there any act like accessibility needs for you? We've mentioned now it's an invisible disability, CF. Yeah. But for the, as you said, for wheelchair users, there's the, the physical access needs as we've talked about. But is there anything that you need sort of from externally? Like from a – you've mentioned what you do yourself mm. to make it make it work. Are there something service providers or 
people could do to make things, I guess, yeah, accessible for you? One of the biggest things, to be honest, it's a really, unfortunately, because you can't see that it's an illness, people don't know and how do they provide support to something that they can't see. And, you know, when I go into the hospital and have my checkup, I'm put in a um, a side room like a, and I'm not allowed to be around other CF people because there's a thing called cross-infection, which basically means what I have as a CFer, if I was to mix with someone else with CF, We've got different bugs that can be life-threatening to one another. Wow. But if you saw us walking around, one of my best friends, he's got CF and my doctors, they know this and they'll kill me for saying this on air, but we would go to the gym together and we'd sit in the front seat of the car. God forbid you would do that, but we would drive with the car windows down. And I know not to give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek, hello, when I see him or any of my CF friends um, because obviously there's, there's that. And today... For parents with kids with cystic fibrosis, if, you know, they'll see even going to a swimming pool, a public pool, I remember having a mum contact me and said, is that okay? Should you be at the public pool because of all the germs and you've got your CF? And I I said, why couldn't I be at the pool? I couldn't understand. I grew up in a time where cross-infection hadn't been a thing or the bugs Mm. of everything wasn't a big deal. But it makes sense because there's a lot of people that aren't here anymore and I feel like the song Miley Cyrus sings, The Climb, it just she gets to the top of it and then she's finally there and, she, you know, you can finally see things. I sort of made it to the top of the mountain somehow and, you know, I'm here now. So I guess from what other people can do and, and help support me is my biggest thing is if you're sick, stay away from me. Like I'll have girlfriends or, or friends and family that say, you know, hey, Em, I've got a cold, prefer not to see you. Um, and I also need to, unfortunately, it's a bit like when you go to uni and the teachers aren't going to ring you and pester you to come every day. You need to be the disciplined one to actually show up. CF, I guess, is a little bit the same. You know, no one's going to tell me to do my t- treatment every day. Um, yeah. You know, I, if I put myself in those situations, it's a it's a very much independent self-awareness discipline. But you just got to do the right thing. Um, like I said, wear face masks, don't surround yourself with people that are sick. Um, And sometimes it's even just saying, hey, look, I can't come to that event or I can't come to this today because I know that person's going to be there and they've been sick. So you can seem, I sometimes feel like a bit, um, you know, a bit misunderstood, I guess, too, because I can't explain Mm. why I can't do some things because I just can't explain it. I simply just don't feel well. And, you know, when someone complains about having a cough or a cold, completely that I I can empathise with it. But then I think, holy moly, I actually feel terrible. I can barely breathe. I feel like I've got an elephant stepping on my chest with a steel cap boot Um, and I I just can't break that. So probably the bigger thing is on a, you know, mental mental health side of things, that's probably a big element for CF I think that doesn't go talked about with a lot of people and in general mental health is huge. But it's sort of, yeah, feeling feeling hard um, and down on myself about things that, you know, I can't change what it is. I can't, do, I, yeah, you just got to get on with it. Especially when you're lying around in bed, I guess, recovering. Yeah. That's not good for mental health either, is it? No, and neither social media, believe it or not. Yeah, I've, he- I've heard. <laughs> it's a highlight reel and um, I often think I, someone, I was interviewed a couple of years ago by someone and they said to me, now, uh, you must put on a bit of a facade. 
and I laughed and I thought, you know, here I go to the gym every day. I don't anymore. I don't have the time. <laughs> but, you know, I'd go to the gym every day and I'd do my job and I'd do this, go to this event. It looks like you're living the dream, but are you really? And I can tell you that that stuff's just a highlight reel. And, you know, like I'm sitting here in my trackies right now <laughs> with a sniffly nose and a sore chest, like a bit of chest pain from the cough. But you wouldn't, yeah, that, that's life. So, yeah. We've come to the end there, Emma. So we've got one question we like to ask everyone at the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. If you could, uh, if there was one thing you could change about travel to make it more accessible for people with CF or disability in general, we have touched on it a little bit already, mm. but if there was one thing in particular that you could change, what would that be? Do you know what? This sounds really silly because I know you can pay to go first class in a plane. Yeah. Can you? I just... Well, you know, business class, whatever they are. I I just think maybe having it more accessible on two levels. I need to have a space where I'm not surrounded. I want to be able to go and travel and do things like like most people. Um, But it probably just needs to, yeah, I don't don't know how they would do it. I don't have any idea. So maybe that's not a good example. Um, That is a good example because in America there's a lot of allowances for people with disabilities to travel with carers and companions. I mean, you can put a cat on a plane in America. So, well, you know, it might, in saying that, I would put it out there. Maybe it's that extra space to, to so or you're not sitting seat. shoulder to shoulder. So, you know, you have a row to yourself if you've got, if you could tick a box and say you've got CF, because that means I can sit there and secretly do my nebulizer, um, you know, things like that. That's probably what, it's, it's not a big thing. There's probably a million other things. I'd love to put it out to the community of CF people, even, and say, you know, there are people out there, what, what is there that we, we could use? Because I think this sort of a platform is a really great opportunity to get the community to to talk up as well give them that platform to say hey what do we need guys let's use this and like you said manifest it and we'll, we'll put it out there so maybe I'll flip the question back to the listeners and say if you've got an invisible illness what would you what do you want what do you need what would make life easy and make you click book that flight well, I think on that note, I think we've done it. Brilliant. You've nailed it, Emma. Thanks so much for coming on. And we'll- Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a really great experience. Like I said, I still pinch myself that this is uh, we've been able to be a part of something so incredible. So I'm, I'm very oh, grateful. We thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for your advocacy for other people with cystic fibrosis and invisible illnesses. We need more people like you. Thank you. I appreciate Thanks, that. Thanks, Emma. Thank you for listening to Access That, presented by Queensland. We'll be back again soon with more from the people who have been there and accessed that. In the meantime, head over to queensland.com for more on accessible travel.